Welcome, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. We've got Scotty Trindler here today. I'm very stoked about this particular appearance. Um, I'm so happy he was able to take some time out of his busy schedule to be here. You know, I was first uh, sort of brought to knowing Scotty through his uh, endeavors with Costa Canyoning and also his video blog, which is called uh, Stump Life Adventures. Uh, fantastic uh, group of videos online that you can check out. Uh, without further ado, Scotty, how are you, sir? Good to see I'm you. I'm doing great, my man. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Where in the world are you right now? I'm in a small little town in uh, north Flo north central Florida called Inverness. Oh, really? Inverness. Now, where where is that uh, in relation to the Gulf? Uh, we're about 30 minutes from the Gulf and about uh, an hour east or an hour west of Orlando. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I actually um, grew up vacationing in South Seas Plantation and then spent a lot of time in like Captiva and uh, uh, Fort Myers areas and then eventually did a lot of travel to uh, Sanibel and places like that. Um, Want to go back more, but we're, Just, we're, go ahead. I went to elementary school in Sanibel Island. <laughs> My wife and I got married at Blind Pass right there between Sanibel and Captiva. I know oh, what you're talking gosh. about very well. Wow, that's incredible. Man, that's such a strange coincidence, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I think what I want to talk about with you initially is I know you are a uh, patient care manager with OPC. Can you explain to me uh, the mission statement of OPC? Like, what 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 is that company about? And then, if you don't mind us transitioning into exactly what you what you what role you play in that organization. So, uh, OPC Orthotics Prosthetic Centers it's a it's a it's it's primarily a prosthetic company now, and it's been around for about thirty years. Um, it's still a family owned business. The same guy that started it, Paul Weot, who started making braces out of uh, a garage is still the same owner right now. And he's actually transitioning both of his sons into bigger roles within the company. Um, that being said, uh, we've got about 22 locations in Florida and basically his mission statement to me is like, just do the right thing. Um, it's kind of cool being as big as we are, but yet still family owned. We're really able to help out a lot of amputees in a lot of different ways that other companies, unfortunately, are not able to. <clears throat> a perfect example, Medicare, you know, the majority of our, our patients are on Medicare, and that's an 80-20 split. And just for simple numbers, a blow any amputee, you know, it's $10,000, you know, Medicare is only paying eight grand of that, right. you know, so what amputee sitting around with an extra two grand around? Right. So um, we're, we have the capability to help these patients if they are in financial need that we can do with like a hardship waiver form for them. And, um, and, and sure enough, we're able to waiver off that extra 20%. And then we actually get patients that don't have any insurance. And it's not that we don't stop seeing them. It's just we get a lot of donations from other amputees that maybe have passed away or so. And we do the best we can to help them get something. So I think that's a I think that's a really important point um just to stop and talk about that because bridging those gaps between you know the reality 
of a good fitting prosthesis and the financial piece, sometimes that valley is, is much bigger than people realize. Because when I, when I talk to someone who knows nothing about the life of an amputee or what that journey is like, they, they tend to make these assumptions that, well, well, that's an easy fix. I mean, you have insurance and you, you just get the stuff you need, right? And so often becoming an amputee can be born from different types of tragedies, different types of hardships, and people just don't have those resources. So understanding that you create sort of a bridge in some situations for patients, I, I would think is, is really valuable and would set you apart, correct? It does in a big way. And like I said, due to the size you are and being a family business that we're able to do that. Like a lot of friends look at me because you see the commercials, you see all the stuff, you see the running blades like, oh, man, I saw this amazing knee. It's waterproof. You can do all this stuff with it. You should get one of those. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, I saw this awesome Ferrari. Like it goes really fast. You should get one of those. (laughs) Exactly. They're just handing them out. Yeah, unfortunately, the technology is there and it's constantly improving. I tell all the amputees I meet, today's the best day to be an amputee. Tomorrow's even better because the technology is always improving. But unfortunately, it looks as though that the insurance companies are fighting harder and harder more than they ever have to deny people like the proper, you know, prosthetic technology that they deserve. Yeah, because medical necessity has become, you know, something that we have to demystify. And I would imagine as someone who's in the business, because let's face it, first of all, you're an amputee. So you know what that journey feels like. You know what those needs are, that set of needs. You're not someone who's, you know, able-bodied, walking around with two legs and saying, you know, um, do I really need this? Do you really need that stuff? Um, Do you need the best? Do you need the most high-functioning? Well, yeah, there, there are amputees that can reach certain places in their life simply because they have the equipment to do so. And understanding that from your perspective, through your lens, I would think is critical comparative to, let's say, someone that works in that business that isn't an amputee. And not to say that they're any less sensitive to it, but you know it because you wake up every single day with it. Yeah, and and it's the, the type of thing so that you because of the K levels how it all works out. You know, K one sit to stand. You know, the little tiny bit of ambulatory all the way to K four, which is you know like the running blades and what you yep. see in the Paralympics. Well, any of those K four componentry, like none of the insurance companies pay for that at all. So that's all stuff that fundraisers coming out of your own pocket. Like you know, I, I go snowboarding and I have a special type of knee, and the insurance companies do not pay for that one bit. So there's a lot of great, um, you know, programs out there. CAF, the Challenge Athletes Foundation, they, when I first came uh, back to Florida as new amputee, they were super supportive and they give out grants every single year. You just got to fill out a lot of paperwork. And mm-hmm. yeah, they, they, they helped me get the equipment that I needed to stay as active as I wanted to be. Sure, sure. No doubt. And you being part of this organization, when did that start officially? And what is a day in the life for you within the confines of that organization, within that space? What does your day feel like? 
So I, I, I lost my leg in a, in a motorcycle accident in Costa Rica almost nine years ago. And I was I owned my own adventure business, repelling people and, t- and taking people down waterfalls. So once I lost my leg in a motorcycle accident, I knew I had to, you know, go onto a different road, a different path, as you will. And uh, I once I was there, I didn't have any insurance. And I kind of most of my savings went up with everything I had to do from the hospital bills to the prosthetics. And once I started seeing how expensive the prosthetics were and how much was involved in it, I was in a situation where I don't really want to be dependent on somebody else for, you know, my mobility the rest of my life. Sure. So I, I started looking into colleges to become a prosthetist. And dude, it blew my mind at the time. There was only like 10 in America. And only one in Florida, and the one in Florida was in St. Petersburg. Um, my folks at the time still lived in Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we made the move, and I started going to school to become a prosthetist. And feeling that calling, and when you were going through your educational piece, how many other people were in a similar situation? And what I mean by that is how many other amputees were in that pursuit? So it's a, so I, when I, I first started going to there, because I already had a bachelor's degree in international relations, so it looked like it was going to be a two-year program. Well, they changed it from uh, a bachelor's into a master's. Hmm. The school that was giving the it was St. Pete College, and it wasn't a university, so they weren't able to give a master's. So they were in a transition period trying to work with the Florida State University and getting a civil engineering degree with an emphasis in prosthetics. So I ended up actually going into the technician program where I'm actually <clears throat> working as a tech and, and making the, the sockets. Oh, and okay. you, funny you asked that. So I come to class. I was on a waiting list to get in. I almost didn't make it. I was, I was really nervous. And I, I got in at the last second. And the first day of orientation, there's 24 kids in the class. I was the only amputee in the class. And I, I was the last person to talk. And I stood up. I'm like, really? There's not a single amputee in here? <clears throat> 50% of the class was people that didn't get into the nursing program. No kidding. Within wow, the first a... two weeks, 13 people dropped out. Yeah, that that's super interesting. And, you know, I, I would think just through your lens, you know, it, it, like you're saying, that surprise of, really, there's no other amputees here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, what, I almost didn't you... make it into this program. <laughs> and like then the program, <laughs> I had to have to wait another year. Right, right, no doubt. So you're basically a technician. So you're you're you know casting the molds, doing things like that. And- yeah, I was in, I was in the back of the house. Uh, we were doing um, the check sockets, everything. So um, the company we work for, how big we are, we have two um, two labs: one in the, on the east coast of Florida in Port Lauderdale, and one on the west coast over in St. Petersburg. And I was working at the one in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And basically till the owner met me and he's like, man, I need you at the front of the house. Like, I don't, I don't need you in the back of the house. I need you talking to patients. And so I originally became into there as like a patient advocate and going around and, and meeting new amputees and eventually became into a, a patient care manager. So my day to day is going into facilities and hospitals and meeting new amputees and kind of, I always walk in and make a I try to make light and make, you know, fun with it. And, and so I'm always like, welcome to the club. <laughs> like, what club yeah, is right. that? I'm like, the cool kid club, man. You paid your dues. <laughs> hey, amputees, I'd like to take a moment to introduce everyone to the liner wand. We all know how bacteria and odor can be a major issue with prosthetic liners, and the liner wand is the solution. Did you know that if you're using soap and water, you may be making the problem worse? 
The Liner One uses a patented formula that deletes all bacteria and smells for two weeks. The Liner One is available as an affordable subscription or individually, and it always ships for free. To learn more, visit thelinerone.com. That's T-H-E-L-I-N-E-R-W-A-N-D.com. Use code 211, that's 211, and receive 50% off your first subscription today. You can also use the code RICK, R-I-C-K, and receive 25% off your cleanser subscription as well. That's thelinerone.com. Yeah, so so um, I, I want to dive into that just a little bit. I, uh, you know, I was a patient advocate for, for a brief period, uh, you know, just a certified peer visitor for the Amputee Coalition briefly. And I would go in and speak to uh, either pre-op or, or newly post-op amputees. And that was, that was an experience. I mean, you sort of don't know what you're in for in that situation. And what I mean by that, and this was just my experience, there were, there were times where, you know, a, an amputee had been struggling, um, let's say, with a problematic limb for, for a number of years. They, they, they had opted for the surgery and they, and they wanted it to go. Um, that was a, a, a very certain kind of vibration. And then there were moments similar to yourself uh, car crash, motorcycle accident, and they're sort of waking up and there's a limb gone. And being able to navigate some of that was very, very challenging. I mean, it, it really takes a certain skill set, uh, not even as an amputee, but as a human being, to go into that space and make them comfortable and really get them to understand in a calm, sort of caring, gentle way, things are going to be okay. And I, I would agree that, like you said, humor can be the great equalizer in those situations. And you are someone, and we're going to talk a little bit about your, your comedy at some point, but you are... <laughs> You are definitely one of those people that has the ability to put a smile um, on someone's face. So um, can you talk a little bit about those experiences, you know, meeting um, people that are, are ramping up for this whole journey that we're both on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's crazy because everybody takes it in, in so many different ways. Um, how can I say for one, a majority of my friends that aren't amputees, they all think I'm hanging out with high active amputees that are all trauma. And the, the truth of it is, you know, 80% of the amputees in America are diabetic or have a vascular disease. So the type of people I'm meeting, it's a little bit all over the show as into what type of person you're meeting. Like most of the times I'll get like either a text from the doctor or a call from the case manager at the hospital. And I, I really don't have any idea what I'm walking into until I see like a face sheet and then I can see the person's age. And that's right. kind of about it. Like in their name, if it's a man or if it's, you know, male or female or yeah. <clears throat> so walking in, it's, it's, it's always a little different and it's hard to see. It's great when you see those people, <clears throat> that look at it as a second chance in life that they're still here. Um, mm -hmm. The salvaged limb, I was 
at first I was really upset because, <clears throat> excuse me, in my accident, I, you know, I woke up in a hospital three days later without a leg. And, you know, if they told me there was a 5% chance of me being able to save my leg, I would have probably taken that 5% chance of, of yeah. saving my leg. Where now being in the industry, you know, for seven years, I've seen many of people try to limb salvage. And, you know, it starts with the toe here and half the foot and, you know, and they're, they're missing out on a quality of life that it, it could be much better for them if they, but no one wants to lose a limb. You know, so I was told to me, it's like losing a child. You know, yeah. a piece of you. So going oh. in and out of different types of depression, I, I try as hard as I can, like, you know, to be there as much as I can for people. But also a lot of times people need to dig deep inside themselves and, you know, change their lifestyle habits. Mm. No doubt. And if you don't mind, I, I, I do want to talk about your accident in particular, um, which is obviously... Uh, a really significant part of your journey in, in not only as an amputee, but just in your lifetime, uh, you were injured in a motorcycle accident and didn't they induce a coma Correct. Um, afterwards? And I think from what I recall in your ampumentary, love that play on words, by the way, um, <laughs> I think what I recall you saying was you were either traveling to or from work and uh, coming out of a service station when a car struck you. Close. Uh, so I was on my way to work. I was on a motorcycle, um, like a like a four fifty, kind of more like a dirt bike, and okay. I was on my way coming into. So where we lived was about a twenty minute from town to town and mm -hmm. i was coming into town where the base of my uh, adventure company was and a farmer and an old school land cruiser wasn't paying attention i saw him he didn't see me and um, he pretty much t-boned me but it was right by a service station and i was extremely blessed at that particular moment there was three separate groups of people in three different cars that all knew me and all heard and saw the accident so, and then what really happened, like the first three people on the scene of the accident was a prostatist was the very oh first gosh. person who I took on a canyoning trip the day before. Never oh. met the guy before. Um, a friend of mine owned a hotel there. And she's like, Hey, I got my friend in from California. Do you mind if he jumps on your tour? I said, no problem. Just have him buy a couple of beers afterwards. We'll hang out. So I met with him, really cool guy. I'd never met a prostitute, didn't really know anything about it. Had what an extraordinary circumstance when you think about it. I mean, really, Scotty, what an extraordinary circumstance is that you were canyoning with a prostitute. You said the yeah. day before. Yeah, and he was the first man on the scene of the, uh, the accident. And then and the he's second the first person. Guy there. That's extraordinary. The second person was a good buddy of mine who is a, a military EMT. And then the third person was a registered nurse who we called the morphine fairy. She had two vials of morphine preloaded, came up, stabbed me twice in my good leg at the time and, and beat off. And we didn't know who she was. And we called her the morphine fairy for about a week. Wow. Yeah. Sent <laughs> yeah, from the so, heavens right there. And then, um, and ba basically when I, I, you know, I was wearing a full helmet. I had a, a just a little backpack on with a, like a Pelican case, a Peli case. It's kind of like a super tough lunchbox, if you will. And that was right mm -hmm. on my lumbar. And I rolled into the ditch and I, I sat up, took my helmet off, checked myself and everything seemed fine. I was like, dude, did I really come on skate? 
And then I, I saw my foot like way over here. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, wow. wait, wait a second. So I so you were you were conscious. So you so you were conscious. You uh, took the impact, and you woke up. Or, or or never really went away. You were you you were conscious, and you realized something was very wrong because you're checking your 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 person, and you're saying, "Uh oh, you know, uh, something something's not quite right here." And mm-hmm. what what was the emotional set in that in that particular circumstance? I mean, what were you thinking? Uh, I leaned back and started yelling for help. And then when I saw familiar faces, I mean, I, I was in shock, but I, I never got unconscious. Um, at one mm. time, I tried to get up because I wanted to fight the guy that hit me. <laughs> like, oh, sure. So my adrenaline was kicking in all times. It took about 45 minutes for um, the ambulance to show up. And it was basically it was two guys with an oxygen tank and a, uh, and, you know, a backboard and, a, and an old beat up van. And uh, I was a wilderness EMT or for a while and knew a lot of this type of stuff. And I kind of had to direct them in order to how to put me on the backboard. And then from there, wow. it was a 45 minute drive to a hospital and they wow. couldn't do much for me. Then I had to get a uh, um, helicopter evac to San Jose, which is a city which had, you know, proper first world style hospital and treatment. Yeah, they had to, they had to airlift you right the hell out of there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now, did the driver stay at the scene? What, what was the circumstance there? Uh, that At the scene, they've kind of just traction my leg. So my leg was blown out, but still attached, as my buddies told me. It's like, man, we saw all this hamburger meat, but no ketchup. So my femoral artery kinked on itself and made a natural tourniquet. Oh, my gosh. Now, the guy that, that hit you, um, what what happened? I mean, what happened with him? it's a it's old school costa rica um he was an older gentleman uh in his 60s he was a farmer and he had a lot of family um by the time i went uh, to trial it was three years later uh and i was he was complete he was found completely guilty but because of how old he was it was his first offense and he all his assets and everything he had went to his family so uh, there was nothing even though he was 100 percent guilty they didn't even put him in prison or anything so so aside from so aside from some hassle in terms of accountability um and and this might be uh a pretty complex question how do you feel i mean where, where are you at with all of that is how do you cleanse yourself of maybe some residual feelings about someone that completely changed the trajectory of your life? I'm, I'm living a really happy, fulfilled life right now. Um, I kind of sometimes say it's like the day I lost my leg is the day I found myself. Yeah. Um, you know, we're more than just a body part, more than just leg, more than just an arm. I mean, I get to do a lot of good things and I have a huge tribe of, of people that are constantly pushing me in the right direction you know, I always tell people, you know, you, you always hear that story. It's like, I had to prove everybody wrong. Well, all my friends were telling me, you're going to do this again. You're going to go snowboarding. You're going to go surfing. So instead of having to prove everybody wrong, I had to prove everybody right. Right. <laughs> That's a great way to to look at it. And I think a very healthy way to look at it, because it, it obviously has not slowed you down. And sometimes when I... 
with anything in life, when you, you sort of process the shoulda, woulda, coulda kind of stuff, and we, we, we can't go back, you know, and change the past. And I sort of tend to live my life in a way where um, things are things that have happened to me, unfortunate things. I've had multiple surgeries and, you know, um, had my life had had myself, you know, and my family members told, well, he's probably not going to make it. Um, all of that is in my rear view. And I'm very excited about what's in front of me. And that's why I just keep moving towards it. So I, I commend you for your ability to sort of parse that out and say, I, I've got such an amazing um, support system that uh, it, it really doesn't slow down my momentum at all. And I, and I think that's the key, right? <laughs> I definitely have good and bad days. <laughs> I'm not discounting the bad days. I've got them too. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. It's, it's not all peaches and cream. And as amputees, we all have setbacks. I think setbacks become just a natural part of what we do. And especially you being in the business that you're in, I am sure you see that fluctuation of forward movement, setback, forward movement, setback. When you see your own patients gaining momentum and then something happens, that sort of pulls them back and makes it difficult uh, for them to kind of ramp up again and get excited. I mean, for myself, when I first became an amputee, um, I really struggled, man. I really struggled to get into a place where I felt comfortable in a prosthesis. I had a lot of skin breakdown. I um, tend to have a lot of bony uh, prominence on my residual limb. I have a lot of places that just love to rub, you know, everything. And um, I was struggling, I mean, for a while until I found the right recipe, until I find the, found the right cocktail that got me into a space where I could excel and I could start to become more active. But a lot of those trials can be, can be tough. And I would imagine you see that in real time, right? Oh, yeah, it's com- completely... Um... The, the 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 podcast I listened to with the American Ninja, which was awesome, by the way, what a, another wow. great, amazing story. Um, Thank he you. spoke a lot about his kids and how that was motivation for him. And I mean, when I woke up out of my coma and I was in the hospital, I'm looking around and, you know, got tubes in me and stuff. I was like, first question was like, why am I still here? You know, and yeah. when I saw my, my son, it was uh, two and a half and he walked in the hospital room and right there, all my answers were you know, all my questions were answered, if you will. And yeah, I knew I had to be there and be a role model for him and the support with my wife and, and the two of them were a small family, just my wife and my child. This is Kevin, <clears throat> And man. that is what was a huge motivation for me. And when I walk and see new patients in the hospitals, what I find when I ask them, you know, do they live with someone? Do they have family? Do they have friends? And the people that don't have anybody, that is the really tricky part. It's hard for me to relate in that situation because I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have the support that I had. Now your son's name, am I, am I saying that right? Tavin? Taven. Taven. Raven, but with a T. Taven. Got it. So that is something that I noticed as well 
in in your uh, little mini documentary, your your ampumentary, um, Stump Life Adventures, um, your relationship with Taven seemed to be your beacon. It seemed to be the thing that, as we say, kind of woke you up, kind of sobered you up. Like, hey man, <laughs> there there is no other path but the one I'm going to pursue with my son and to, to live your life, you know, with that sort of that power force that children can create that just gives us that ability to go, nothing is going to stop me. You know, I've got my son, I, I, he relies upon me and, um, you know, I, I want to be everything that, uh, you know, is, is going to, is going to, enrich his life. And also, you know, we're going to share that energy, you know, that I can give to him and, and he can, uh, he can reciprocate back. And, and, you know, the thing I've noticed in, in so many of your video blogs is he's such a big part of, you know, that experience. I mean, not only is he an amazing snowboarder, but he's a great dancer. <laughs> Kids got moves. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just such a wonderful celebration of life that um, you know that you give us all a little kind of peek into, and the, because I'm a musician, I love the fact that so many of those blogs are set to music, and it's just this kind of freewheeling, freewheeling. Let's have fun, um, you know. We're just living life and doing our thing. And um, it's really inspiring. And I, I appreciate that you share the, those things and that energy. But yeah, he's, man, he's a card. He's a, he's a great kid, you know, and I can tell. I can tell just by watching. And I was so worried, you know, here I am in the, like, I, I, every day I was either surfing or running down waterfalls. So when I lost my leg and my son was only two and a half, it's like, the, of course, the first thing in my head is like, you know, how am I going to kick a soccer ball with him? How am I going to teach him how to surf? I'm, I'm never going to be able to snowboard with him. Yeah. And, I, you know, and it's, it's completely changed. You saw I, I my first family holiday where I had my wife, my son and I, the three of us were all snowboarding together. And that was something I never thought would be possible. Right. And and now I'm a soccer dad, you know, I can kick the ball with him a little bit, but now I'm a soccer dad just driving around all the <clears throat> different tournaments and games he has everywhere. We're actually going to an Orlando City game this evening. Awesome. No, yeah, that's fantastic. So he, he's been the big ideal part and cuz it was different for him, he like he only knows me with two legs from photos. He doesn't have any proper memory of it. And what was really cool is a uh, good a buddy of mine, Nick Stillwell, he runs a Never Say Never Foundation, and he runs a thing. And every year they have a pirate camp where they, you know, <clears throat> take donations all year long, and they bring forty different families from all over the United States with at least one child with a limb difference. And we got invited the first year, and then we've been volunteering every every year after that. And so I think we're coming on to our sixth or seventh year. And when my son saw kids that were amputees like me, it like blew his mind. He's like, dad, they're like you. And you know how kids are like, they're resilient, man. They got their blades are running around. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's really made him much more of a humble person and much more of an understanding person 
And um, yeah, he's always looking out to help. And I think that's had a lot to do with it. No, that's fantastic. And obviously you've had that influence on him. Stump Life Adventures is on YouTube. Uh, and I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's just, it's just a really neat little collection of, you know, different bits and pieces of Scotty's life. And of course, uh, his remarkable son, Taven. Uh, you know, with that, we are going to take a quick break and we are going to do a segment that we do on every podcast called Amps You Should Know. Today on Amps You Should Know, I'd like to introduce you to Sagar Mahara. He is a 30-year-old amputee. He is above the knee. He's been an amputee for about two years. I had an amazing call with Cigar last week, so I wanted to introduce you to him. We talked about music mostly. Um, he was very, very curious about myself as a musician. Um, I'm a drummer, and Cigar is a guitarist. He's a keyboardist. He's a vocalist. He's kind of like an all-around kind of musician. I definitely envy his abilities. Um, He's one of those people that is very thoughtful. He's living his best life. As an amputee, he continues to work for the government in his, uh, his native country of Nepal. And um, he's just one of those people that is just a pleasure to talk to. We had a wonderful exchange, and um, I'm wishing him well, and I'm so happy to introduce you to him. Sagar Mahara is definitely an amp that you should know. Hey everyone, we're back with Scotty Trindler. Uh, we've been talking about uh, all kinds of different things, his career, his family life, his video blog. You know, I want to do a little bit of a rewind, uh, Scotty, and talk about the period of time after your accident, um, when you became an above-the-knee amputee, and um, knowing that, from what I've read, that it was a bit of a struggle because it sounds like you sort of came out of the gates, you know, charging. I mean, you came out of the gates really, you know, really ex in, a, in an accelerated kind of trajectory and then I believe you developed some bone spurs and things kind of went a little bit sideways on you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, so I lost my leg on December 5th and I was fit with a prosthesis out the door January 7th. So Holy cow, that's just, fast. Just over 30 days. Now being in Holy the industry, cow. I know how fast that is. So Yeah, was your, I mean, was your incision like, ready for that i mean that's pretty remarkable i mean you must heal fast yeah i got i got that wolverine in me no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly no I, that, that's Another something i wanted to talk to talk about is the prosthetist that i was found there his name was dino um and he i because i didn't know anything about amputees i didn't know anything about prosthetics nothing i mean unless you have a friend or a family member or working in some type of charity group or something like why would you? 
and he came into the hospital bed and I, I thought it was all over. And he came in with a patient advocate who was a younger gentleman, um, with a above knee amputee, above knee amputation as well. And he had a prosthesis on and he was moving and grooving pretty good. And I was like, Oh, wow. And then, and so of course I, you know, I got, I got some stuff in me, some medications and everything. I'm like, but can he dance? And this dude busted out a little salsa move. And I was like, ah, we got this. <laughs> so, That's awesome. So that was a huge inspiration for me and being able to do like, to kind of give that back to people. So I like, I'm literally like role reversal going in and meeting new patients and, and being that like, hopefully, you know, glimpse of hope. I tell people, you know, you got me on your team now and I, I do the best I can to help them out with, with how I can. Yeah. So you, you, you develop bone spurs and did you have more surgeries after that? Was that the plan of attack? So you spoke about music. Music is a huge part of my life. Um, surfing was always a, was a, like, that was my everything. And my wife one day told me, she's like, what, what, what if you can't surf, you know, again? I was like, I'll always be able to surf. This is before my invitation. And I was like, well, if I, for whatever reason, if we move to the mountains or something, I'd like, I've always had music. So I went to three different music festivals within the first four months of my amputation. Um, Ooh, you're walking and, all over the place. Oh, just going for it. And uh, yeah, and I said the pain started developing more and more. And my prosthetist was trying to work with me the best that I could to try to figure out, you know, where this problem is. And where I was in Costa Rica, we were coastal. For me to get to my prosthetist was a four-hour drive. One way. So... He, I ended up, he wanted me to get an x-ray and the nearest place to get an x-ray was like an hour. So I ended up actually going to our local vets and I got an x-ray from our vet in Costa Rica and, and sent him the CD and he was able to look into it and show me that I had the bone spurs. And so I started doing more and more research into what bone spurs are and they're, you know, it's, it's basically a calcium deposit and it happens sometimes a lot with trauma patients that the bone actually tries to regrow itself. And yeah. so I had like these big old like hooks, like at the distal end, at the bottom end of my femur and like the ligaments were like rolling over this hook and it got so excruciating. And then I ended up having to get a revision. So they went in there and kind of sanded it all up and uh, put some, I don't know, some, some tack over it to stop it from going back out and started getting back on my way. So that was after four months. So that was a, that was a big blow to me and my family. We were, we were doing good and moving forward. And then all of a sudden having to go in for a revision, I looked at myself and then, yeah, the bone spurs actually ended up coming back a little bit. And I, I, I tried to, I was like, dude, I'm not going in for another operation. So I changed my diet, did a lot more research on what was happening. And the, the cool thing that I saw was, um, you know, apple cider vinegar, unfiltered apple cider vinegar is what, you know, heel spurs is what they did to dissolve it. And I was like, well, if that's on the heel and that's a bone, it's the same thing growing on here. So I was mm -hmm. doing compresses with apple cider vinegar on my stump for like a month. And now, does some of that holistic approach, um, because I'm always fascinated by natural remedies, you know, I'm I'm somewhat of a firm believer that Mother Nature gives us the things that we need to heal. Um, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, from a dietary standpoint, or you know, different different things like acupuncture, or 
um, you know, all kinds of alternatives, let's say to, I guess you could call it just Western medicine. Um, now, your wife's a yoga instructor, correct? Correct. Yeah, she's a she's a yogi. <laughs> she does. Uh, and yeah, does some of so does some of uh, does some of that you know does does some of that approach in, in terms of alternative th- does some of that come from you both as a couple? Like, is that something you discuss? Is that something you explore together, or was that something you just completely sort of researched independently? Uh, both, both of us were looking into, we knew diet, we knew, you know, in, inflammatories, that was the big mm-hmm. thing going on. And it's so funny when you say it's alternative medicine, because the truth be it, the pharmaceutical company, it all comes from that synthesized, <laughs> synthesized natural remedies and put a patent on it. So they can listen, sell man, listen, you are preaching to the choir because I will tell people, well, where do you think everything that, that you pick up in a prescription, you know, in that little orange bottle, where do you think that originated from? Okay. It, it all came from natural medicine. It all came from a more holistic approach. It just went through all of those processes of, you know, becoming a mass marketed item. Um, so I, I agree with you. And I am always open when someone says, hey, you should try uh, red light therapy or you should try acupuncture or and I'm I'm very very open to all of that. Uh, I I think that there can be a healthy balance between you know MDs and some of the other approaches that can can really build just a, a spectrum of care for yourself. But you have to be proactive. And it sounds like you have a partner in that. That you know you have someone in your life that supports that and and wants to see you do well. And I think that's a blessing. Oh, c- complete blessing. Yeah. And, and, and especially down where we were in the particular part of Costa Rica, you know, we were dealing with a lot of surfers and people wanting to live off the grid. You know, everybody's growing their own food. Uh, you know, yeah. people that were, you know, we were told you are what you eat. And I don't feel like that's being said anymore. And it's more prevalent than ever. We are what we eat. I mean, if you Absolutely. look at the kids and what they're being fed these days i mean over 50 percent of the stuff in the supermarket should be illegal and so that holistic approach and going to just having a healthy system and a non-acidic trying to alkaline your body like it helped with the inflammation i mean that's that's one of the biggest parts we have is inflammation and it's everywhere we look is where we are is, is where you get it no i i agree with you and i made some very very big sweeping changes to my diet myself you know, uh, eating very clean, uh, you know, uh, doing some fasting, uh, trying, trying out, uh, eating raw and doing some things that, uh, if you were to ask me, you know, 10 years ago, would you ever consider doing, I I never would have because I I just thought I was invincible and, um, I wasn't sick at the time. And, and it, it really changed me you know, the, the challenges I went through uh, medically and from a health perspective to just start to rethink all of those things. And, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine from Denmark this morning, and she said, how are you feeling? And I said, you know, I, I'm feeling stronger than ever. And this is someone that saw me through my worst days and says, it's just, it's remarkable that you could be on the, you know, the other side of what you've been through and feel as good as you do. And 
honest, honestly, I said, it, it surprises me too. <laughs> it really does because I, I, I know what it's like to live in that zombie-like state where you just, you, you're sluggish or you're not sleeping well or you're just not living as clean of a lifestyle as you could. And it does affect every part of yourself. And um, no, I think it's wonderful that you have a partner, you know, in that, in your wife, and you guys take that approach from more of a family perspective. Um, I want to also get into the ampumentary that you did. Um, was that something that was brought to you as a project? Was that something that you sort of, you know, came up with on your own? What what was the process in putting that film together? Because it, it's it's really remarkable. I mean, it's it's really a great um, piece of work, and I, I would highly recommend that uh, people check out your channel on YouTube and definitely watch this short film because it, it, it's it's truly something I think I would show probably to anyone who's a new amputee and say, well. Here you go. This is this is something I want you to check out as you start your journey. So, how did that all materialize? Uh, it was a collaboration. Uh, a lot of good friends, and um, we talked. So, what I, I used to run an adventure business down there, canyoning. I, I, I lived around the world doing it. I used to live half the year in Switzerland, half the year in New Zealand, going from summer to summer. And so, eventually, I went to Costa Rica and started my own business. My family had retired to Costa Rica and been in Costa Rica since the early seventies. So I had a couple of connections down there to help out. And so we had a, up and running for about seven years before I had my accident and hmm. that was my life. And I really wanted to get back in the Canyon. And so we're like, why don't we try to document you first time getting back into the Canyon? So, so the let's canyon pause for a moment. Six waterfalls, let's the let's tallest... pause just for a quick second. Sure. I don't mean to break your momentum. Nah, can, no you ex can you explain for the audience uh, what canyoning is? Because um, uh, I know what it is, and I, you know, I I've done some repelling myself. But can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. <clears throat> so canyoning, it's um, it's it's basically descending uh, waterfalls, or or as you like, as it says, a canyon. So in canyons with water in it. So there's all, and there's all different like slop canyons and there's multiple different types of canyons, just like there's multiple different types of rivers. So the canyons that I ended up doing were more in Switzerland. So they were glaciers, so snow melt, and it would be like a beautiful like canyon with water going through it. And we would navigate it going down them. Sometimes you come up to a waterfall, it was safe enough, we'd slide down it. Sometimes you, we would be able to jump into a pool. Other times we're able to rappel down the waterfall. So it's, it's kind of like navigating it the whole time. But everywhere I did, it was pretty much glacier. <laughs> so we were wearing heavy wetsuits with almost like 10 millimeters around your core. And wow. then when I got to Costa Rica and was exploring and I found a tropical canyon where you could basically wear a pair of board shorts and a t-shirt. And so uh, the canyon that we, the particular one that we ran and navigated, it had six waterfalls. Um, the smallest one was about 20 feet. The biggest one was close to 100 feet. And we repelled five of the six of them. And how big were the groups that you were taking out? So you were, you were, you were putting together these tours and um, you would do the train up you know, all the safety measures and all that stuff. So what was a typical outing? What did that look like? 
Uh, we pick you up. We we had a base. We'd meet you at around nine o'clock, and then we'd go uh, in a, in our, our truck up to the top of the mountain. And then, depending on the size of the group, two would be the minimum. Twelve would be about the maximum. And we'd have two okay. guides, one at the top, one on the bottom. So, and uh, it was it's basically just guiding them and, and a lot of talking and teaching them how to repel. So we we don't do a passive repel. So the the the, the the guests were actually repelling themselves, so we taught them how to repel themselves. A passive repel would be where we actually lowered you, but um, so this was a little bit more adventurous because I'd probably say eighty percent of the people that we took never repelled in their life, let alone in a waterfall. Sure, sure, yeah. So I I would think you know from from the idea of going on an adventure, this is it. I it mean, was you're, cool, you're, man. <laughs> oh yeah, and 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 again, in this particular, you know, uh, mini documentary, this ampumentary, uh, you 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 really get into some some of the, um, you know, these these beautiful, you know, uh, canyons and lush, you know, landscapes, and it it's really a remarkable, uh, you know, it, it's I don't know, it's it's very Hollywood. For me, because I, I, you know, I, I see that and I go, hey, this is like Indiana Jones, or you know, it's just this, this really, really cool kind of tropical uh, setting, and you know, people are are experiencing the thrill of you know repelling down these these gorgeous waterfalls, and um, I would think for yourself, and really what the the piece of film is about is you revisiting that you coming back to that discipline and you allowing us as the viewer to be able to tap in to the emotions that you're feeling in in that space which i think that's where the magic occurs where you're you know you're 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 feeling all those feelings again um and doing it as an amputee yeah, it, it was amazing. Uh, so it was about nine months after my, uh, my amputation. So and then I told you I was a month, it took me about a month to get into a prosthesis. And then I had my revision. So I probably would have been in the canyon a little sooner. But I was still in there after nine months. And uh, really good buddy of mine drew the plant and, uh, and his buddy Mike, they, um, they had all the audio stuff and, uh, and video stuff actually in Costa Rica and had like, a, you know, <clears throat> a mini studio if you will and drew himself the music throughout the entire thing that's all him that's all original score that he did himself like you know he's no got it's wonderful and... he's got all kinds of drums yeah. going. right and 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 on your channel there's even some drone footage i think that is um it's breathtaking i mean it's just talk about beautiful country it's it's incredible yeah, we were blessed, man, that where we were at, Dominical, Costa Rica, Uvita, Costa Rica, it's, it's really where the mountain jungle meets the ocean. And there's not that many places in the world that actually that it's inhabitable that, that people are living at it. So you had both. You had the mountains and the, and the beach and, and tropical at the same time, where like I was doing in Switzerland, New Zealand, or even Japan. You know, the seasons, you have maybe a four or five month season tops. And, right. you know, in Costa Rica, we, we were year round. I mean, there's lower water levels and higher water levels, but um, we were able to run that tour year round, which is pretty remarkable considering that there's not many places in the world you can do that. 
So now that you're in Florida, I mean, is that still in operation or is that just, that is completely not a thing anymore? No, it, it's up in www.coastofcanyon.com. Uh, our our, our, uh, our buddy Carlos, uh, he took over the company uh, and he's down there right now. Um, he's running tours as well. Um, you know, we want to talk about a blessing in disguise. Unfortunately, the, uh, you know, this whole COVID thing that happened, Costa Rica took it really seriously and closed down yeah. everything. So I don't know where we would have been if we were still down there running that operation. Yeah, travel, travel, uh, the growth in that industry, uh, to say it's been stunted is an understatement. So um, when people want to get out and go to those, uh, you know, secluded, tropical, you know, paradise-like places, um you know, I want to see all that get back to, you know, what it used to be, where where we can move freely and, you know, challenge ourselves and, and do those fun things. Um, you know, it's it's funny because I came across uh, some videos of you and you were doing stand up. And <laughs> I got to say, man, I, I I think this might be your 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 gig. I think this might be the thing that's going to really put you on the map. I mean, what, what, who, who, and what, how did this happen that you suddenly found yourself, uh, doing stand-up comedy? Tell me about that. Uh, I've always kind of been a jokester. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, be, before I got in the adventure industry, I was a bartender and then I got into the adventure industry doing whitewater rafting and stuff. So I kind of always had an audience. So I was always used to talking to people and just, you know, being off the cuff and uh it was actually my wife or as actually i got into it in costa rica a good buddy of mine storm who owned the bar jolly roger over there he was a shock jock uh dj out of out of the massachusetts boston area and he had a buddy coming down to costa rica that was going to do that's an actual on the road comedian and he wanted to have a comedy night at the bar and he hit me up he's like hey man anything you can put together like five seven minutes I was like, I, I think so. And he put together some. So there's like four of us that night. And uh, yeah, I guess people found me funny. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> then we then moved back to Florida and St. Pete. It was actually my wife, Sarah. She was the one that pushed me out. There was a couple open mic nights and she pushed me out. And I went to two of them. And the second one I went to went pretty late. I didn't realize it was like a contest. There's like 35 people at this open mic night thing. And I ended up getting second place in a in, in nice. money. <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. this is a competition? I didn't even know that. And then uh, after that, she's like, I don't know if I want you in the bar scene all that night having strangers laughing at you. So I had fun. to calm down a little bit. I, I do a little bit here and there for fun. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a passion of mine that I would love to revisit. And the cool thing about it, it seems like there's not really an age on comedians. You can see them as young as they are and as old as they are. So. No, when the right I, opportunity comes, I, I will definitely be jumping into it. I love the I love the way you close your set. And um if I could if I could reenact, uh hi, my name is Scotty and I have one leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my buddy tape started videoing the beginning of that. He he only got into like like he he missed the like the best parts in the beginning. Like one of my favorite ones, people is like you know, a lot of people, when they see an amputee, they're like, oh, they know about the running blades. They're like, oh, man, do you have one of those? Do you, do, do you have a running blade? I was like, do I look like I run? I'm like, this is just <laughs> the rest of my life. Never have to run again. I was told only one one chase and no one is chasing my fat butt. <laughs> you know, ta talking about legs, um, 
the one thing that's that's pretty remarkable and I am very unfamiliar with because I'm a below the knee amputee uh, is the the prosthesis that you're using to snowboard. And I've only caught glimpses of that particular leg in your video blog. Can you explain what piece of engineering that is? Because that is one badass looking thing that you got going on there. Yeah. So th- there's a, there's about three different com- there's three different companies and three different models that are using relatively the same technology. Inside of it, inside of the casing, it's a box shock. So it's the same type of shock system that you have like on the front of a mountain bike. So. Mm-hmm when it compresses, it actually gives back up. So being a below knee amputee, you still have both your knees. So, you know, when I stand up, it's all on one knee. When you stand up, even though you have a, you have a prosthesis, but you're using both your knees to stand up. So with the Fox shock system, when it compresses, it actually gives back up. So you got return energy. But but you can't walk in it. It's stiff legged. Like you really have to load it. And I've tried all three on the market. Um, Otterbach makes one, uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, uh, Mike Schultz, fantastic. Uh, he, he's my idol in this. He's my, you know, he was the one that came out. He does the moto knee and he is a, a, a Paralympian snowboarder and he kind of brought his technology and his equipment to the Paralympics and snowboarding and was able to have a lot more people come out and snowboard properly. And then the other one is from Protier, which is uh, is a company out of France, which uh, a guy I met at the World Championships of Adaptive Surfing, he kind of made that and another company bought it. So all three knees were made by, designed by amputees and bigger companies bought them and one made his own company. So it actually came from people that are in the industry trying to make it and trying to get the, you know, the best of what they can out of the sports they're doing. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, because of course, you know, I see something like that and I'm immediately, you know, laser beam drawn to what's going on there because I'm 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 not I'm not an avid guy when it comes to winter sports as much as I am in the summer. And I know that it it's in in a lot of ways, because you know, when I was younger, I did a lot of water skiing and um some people will say, well, it's similar in some degrees as far as balance and the muscles that you're using. But, um, you know, once you're an above the knee, I would think that there is a whole lot of technology that goes on into giving you the proper feel, the right amount of return energy that you need when you're, you know, navigating. Um, but yeah, when I, when I saw that, I thought to myself, man, I've got to ask Scotty about that. So I, so I appreciate you sharing it. Of course. No, there, there's a saying, and so like, you know, in the amputee world, like we always joke around like AKs versus BKs. So an AK above me, amputee would always say it's like below me amputee. You're not even really an amputee. That's just kind of more (laughs) of an inconvenience. It's so funny. You know, I it's so funny you say that because I see um you know, I'm somewhat voyeuristic when it comes to social media and I see that chatter going on online where someone will be, you know, a a, a BK will be sort of, you know, waxing poetic about, you know, oh, woe is me, and then you'll see it a you know, an above the knee chime in and they're like 
do you have any idea how lucky you are? And it's like, oh, no. And then yeah. I get out the popcorn, right? Because I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I've calmed down a lot on that. I used to be a lot more vocal on a lot more, you know, situations out there. And I've calmed down quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, because everybody's going through their own struggle in their own way. And, uh, yeah. For sure. And But, no, but definitely, sure. yeah. So, but, 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 you know, people see, like, people that aren't, familiar friends of mine it's like oh i saw this other guy doing it dude he's an amputee i'm like dude totally different amputee <laughs> yeah exactly no yeah. um i i had someone stop me in the uh supermarket the other day and um was just going on and on and on and 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 talking about her son who was an amputee and asking me all these different questions and i said i said you know it's so nice of you to stop and talk to me i said do you know what kind of amputee he is and she said, well, he's like you. And I said, well, is, is he above the knee or is he below the knee? And um, she said, I'm not sure. So I think for a lot of folks, even close family members, sometimes they don't really even understand, you know, fully what's going on. There's been times where I've taken off my prosthesis in front of friends or family um, just to give myself a break. And, the, and they have remarked like, oh, Oh, okay. I I didn't realize you had that much of your leg. Um, so yes, there there's that educational piece where a lot of folks just kind of take us all and throw us into the same hopper, you know? Uh, you're all the not. same Yeah, you're all the same people. And it's like, well, no, actually we're not. Um, you know, before we wrap up today, I want to talk about the future of OPC and where you see yourself. I mean, what what is on the horizon? Uh, you know, um, what's happening for you, and what should we be? What should we be looking for in your future? Uh, rather in my in my future, I'm just being being a family man right now, and then trying to snowboard and, and play with my family as much as possible. With OPC, I mean, I, I they're an amazing company that I work for. Like, it's very compassionate, and we've had a lot of employees come from different companies. I, I've been with them for seven years now, and you know, when other employees come and start working for us, they they do see a difference. Um, I plan on retiring with this. Um, you know, my son is, he's only in fourth grade. He's going into fourth grade right now. So I don't see myself, you know, my office is 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> so uh, I, I travel a lot, but I, where I travel, it's, um, it's more countryist. And everyone's like, Oh, Inverness, Florida. I was like, there's nothing up there. I was like, in, in Costa Rica, I had to cross two rivers to get to my house. <laughs> it's like, you know, so, uh, and it's dubbed up here too, where it's a citrus County. They actually call it the nature coast. And all my friends think I made that up. They're like, there's no place in Florida called the nature coast. I'm like, talk to my nature coast surgical center then. <laughs> I'm with the name outside. Right. So I, I plan on being with this company as long as they'll have me. I mean, I, like I feel very fulfilled helping, you know, my, my people, <laughs> if you will. And, uh, you know, whatever you want to believe in and in higher powers and stuff. I mean, I'm definitely still supposed to be here and I, I, I found a, a purpose and, you know, you uplift yourself by uplifting others. And so my motto is activating amputees and trying to get them up and, and moving and grooving, if you will. Yeah. Activating amputees. I mean, what a great mantra. Scotty Trindler, uh, part of OPC. Uh, what an amazing story. We are so fortunate that you shared it with us today. Um, please don't be a stranger. I'm going to check in on you frequently. And uh, um, once again, thank you. 
Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us, everyone. I want to wish everyone well, health and happiness. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and we will see you next time.